Hi, this is Jess. I want to apologize for some of the audio quality issues in this episode. There were some tech issues and some microphone issues on my end. I apologize, but thank you so much for listening, and I know that you will enjoy this episode with Liana McKenzie. everyone and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games and I am a tabletop RPG designer and I'm here with my co-host Craig Campbell. Hi Craig. Hi Jess. Yeah, I'm Craig Campbell. Um, I am also an RPG designer and uh, we've got a guest here. Surprise! Uh, as we always do, Liana McKenzie. Hello! Hello, my name is Liana McKenzie. I am the owner and uh, lead designer and basically everything else for Valorous Games, uh, where I focus on making tabletop RPGs that are also very anime and shouty. <laughs> anime and shouty are like the two best adjectives to describe anything. <laughs> Absolutely. It's kind of what we had in mind when we made it. And, and, you know, we, we really, really honed in on that, that idea. Uh, Craig, what are we talking about today uh, oh, for our my. GMing side? Uh, yeah, we are talking about loot, loot, treasure, items of value. Filthy lucre. Gear, magic items, uh, psionic items, super powered Capes and- devouring. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, as uh, you know, kind of from the GM point of view, as extrinsic PC motiva- motivation as something to like, you know, like how can we motivate? What can we, um, you know, as GMs kind of incorporate into our games to kind of uh, to motivate uh, the the players toward, uh, you know, to- motivate the players to have their characters want to go after these things, and not just as necessarily power creep. Although don't get me wrong, doing cool powerful stuff is a lot of fun. We'll certainly talk about that. But then you know into incorporating those things into story and all sorts of other things that we do so uh yeah just uh motivating the characters with stuff <laughs> with cool stuff you know not just balls of twine that they can use to track their way through the dungeon and not get lost i'd be cool with that if i picked up a ball <laughs> of twine in the middle of a labyrinth i'd be like oh score <laughs> a magic guess- ball of twine that you spool out as you go through the dungeon and it helps you from you know getting lost and whatnot and then you can just say a command word and it spools itself all back up well, I, I think Especially that- if you can grab onto the ball. So when it spools it up, it just kind of pulls Ooh. you, pulls you through the dungeon. <laughs> On roller skates, just boop. <laughs> that would be a really fun thing to borrow from games like Legend of Zelda. Like the, the original, like you find the item that will help you defeat the boss in the actual dungeon. And you can use it to solve puzzles in the dungeon. Like you get the hook shot in the water temple and you use the hook shot to maybe potentially trap yourself in the water temple forever if you play it wrong. <laughs> okay, well, wh- while still attempting to avoid trapping our, our players' characters <laughs> permanently, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's just open it up and we'll, we'll throw this around for a little bit. Like you know, fun ways to incorporate um, all that cool magic, psionic items, super-powered things whatever it may be, um, to help motivate the PCs, the, the characters. Well, I mean, like, 
like the Legend of Zelda example is, is a good way to to kind of make it so these items are meaningful. How can you incorporate these items into your game in a way that makes sense with the theme that you've already set up with the game that you have started with your players with um, with the ways that your players already are playing their characters it's no fun to give them like a super awesome sort of doom if none of them use swords but it might be super cool to give them a, a super awesome sort of doom um when you know like one of them has been really complaining about a sword that they've been using or or maybe it causes conflict with um, the sword user and like it's it's the sword of their their old sword master um so like what what can you do to connect the the items and that loot and that cool stuff that they're getting to the things that the players are already doing uh i as much as i like random loot tables uh i i find it a lot more rewarding for my players when they get something that feels like oh oh yeah this this belongs to them this belongs to this character obviously it's going to go to them I know for me, so I, I'm very, Val, Valor, we actually don't, don't have intrinsic loot systems. And that was very, very intentional in the design for me. Like if I'm playing something like D&D, I, I admit, I like to try and kind of break the, break the mold a bit and in, in terms of how D&D likes to do it. Um, I've always, I've always preferred the idea of, at least for your core build, for your, for your weapons, your armor. Um, I, I always liked um, what certain classes would do with like the Kensei or um, I will mention the, the 3.5 Oriental Adventure Samurai. There's a lot wrong with that class, but the weapon upgrade system specifically, I was okay with. I've always liked the idea of having equipment that sort of is already meaningful to you or will become meaningful to you because it evolves with you as opposed to just, you know, oh, you found a new sword. Let's ditch the old one. So I know for me, like if I'm running D&D, since usually you have like tables or whatever as to how good the gear should be at any given level. Um, although they've kind of backed away from that, which I, which I appreciate too, because you know you want to be able to give them more fun options as opposed to necessary. Um, and I like to, what I would like to do uh, is they start with something and then as they progress in power, that item will uh, also progress with them um, mm-hmm. more based on them achieving character milestones. So if if they have this dramatic confrontation with like a rival character or something, maybe during that fight, that weapon that they've been carrying will show a new power that they've been able to access. I think that's, that's for me um, and for, for the players I tend to run for, it's a lot more rewarding to tie that, that power, that power gain with, with something that means something to the character. And it also, serves to, to engage them more in the story because they, you know, they know that if I'm, if I, as a, as a character have these big moments that I can lean into that will, that will give me more means to develop my, my own powers and, and make, make my equipment and make myself stronger. Oh, and those create like really cool character role play moments in, even in combat where like a lot of, a lot of games can tend to be 
separated into like here's our role play side and now we're in combat and there's no role play in the combat because we're just rolling dice and doing math but having I love I love the um the character milestones unlocking special powers means of magic has something kind of similar to that um with the with the magic artifacts that we have in the game um yeah that's that's a great I would like it just reminds me of um one of my favorite anime since you mentioned it before, one of my favorite animes in, in middle school was Bleach and there's Zanpakuto's and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Ble- Bleach was a big inspiration. Like, I, I okay. tried making, yeah, I tried making Bleach in D20 3.5 and I succeeded. <laughs> um, actually people, people like carried that forward. And I think some folks are still working on the original system I pioneered today, which is, which is really cool. Um, but I didn't enjoy it in 3.5, which is why we made Valor so that we could make a system specifically for it. Um, Valor actually, we emphasize uh, role play in combat and in, in your scene since uh, Val- Valor refers to a stat that you can kind of accumulate by like shouting attack names and, and giving dramatic <laughs> monologues and stuff like that so so that's really been my design bread and butter for a long time so if, even if I'm running D&D I'm actually running Valor <laughs> <laughs> that's great I love the idea of uh, you know kind of avoiding the disposable magic item you know like well like i don't need my plus one sword anymore because i got a plus two sword that also does this well why don't you just have your plus one sword upgrade you know like something happens in the process of your adventuring you're doing the thing some magical thing happens or it's blessed by god or you know some wizard uh artificer gets a hold of it and upgrades it or or it's just you know stuff that's built into you know into the item as it you can just make it something you can become more and more and more and you like you get this because then the, the magic item starts to get like a, a personality yeah um, and uh, and it has a history you know they always they always like a lot of games that have like very powerful magic items will, like tie a history to it but the history is usually tied to the history of like previous wielders of the magic item like this magic item helped so and so do such and such well what if the you know like the the, the magic item like grows as you go and it has its own personal history um that kind of grows alongside your character so it kind of becomes sort of a little bit of a character unto itself um rather than just trading out the the new pl- the, the new higher plus for the old lower plus and honestly even like with D's magic system it's very easy to conceive of an in-universe reason why this would happen oh, you sure. could just say that you know as someone grows in power the, the the items that they carry with them so kind of are influenced by this like brightly burning soul of this wielder or whatever. And then you can do cool things too. Like say for, you know, the big final dramatic confrontation, someone's sword shatters on the final blow. And then the next campaign you run, you, run, you, you can find shards of that sword. And you can reassemble the shards of this legendary hero who was the character you played before. There's just so many things you can do with it and just do really cool things to get to get players to really want to want to play, want to role play, want to engage with the story and just be part of the world. I, I love that. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like every magic item that your character has. You can 
you know, like the GM can talk and look at each of the players and each of their characters and say, okay, you know, here's, we've got our sword and board armored fighter. Who's going to have a sword that does that sort of thing that becomes something more as you go along rather than just giving them new swords. And they have armor that does some cool things that gains as they go. And then everything else is like, well, they got potions and they've got this rod and they've got, you know, whatever. Um, and you know, a wizard can have a staff and a thief can have a dagger and some picks, you know, lock picks or something. They, they can have like just a few items that have that sort of long lasting kind of buildup of flavor. And if, uh, you know, wh why not let it be uh, choices too? Like there could, if, if you as the GM are like, I'm not sure if my player in my player would, would their character would like to have the, the, the magic short sword suddenly also do this. So I'll give them three choices. Like the, your short sword is going to level up with you. Your short sword is going to have some sort of, you know, growth and becomes legendary because of its magic and like here's three things you can you know pick one what, what's the one you want that'll because i mean that sort of thing happens with players and gms all the time anyway the gm kind of pulls the players and finds out like you know well where do you see your character going what kind of magic and spells and psionic abilities and superpowers do you foresee kind of going after down the road mm -hmm. um you know where where do, where do you where do you think you're going to build the character to and you can incorporate some of that um, or, or provide those choices, um, in items or, you know, wacky magical space uh, or, uh, super suits or, you know, whatever, like, you know, upgrades to your ship. Yeah. Um, like it's, it's your, it's your ship. It's your baby. You're flying through space. You need to keep it all together. And every time you step at port, maybe everyone pools all their money together to try to buy the new cool laser cannon to fight other space pirates or whatever your, whatever genre you're playing, you can you can incorporate right, well you. not really it doesn't work with every genre in the same way like fantasy is so good fantasy and sci-fi are so good for like the items as macguffins as motivations because that's inherent in the genre um i mean like you look at legends like uh, king arthur and the holy grail and you have like there are so many items in there like excalibur is a magic item and um you look lord of the rings has all these magic items um but if you're playing like a, a, a romance game, maybe that's not, unless it's like an engagement ring, I guess, maybe it's not <laughs> going to be as important. Or maybe it is grandmother's favorite set of pearls and um, you, you need to make sure that you bring them back to grandma before she knows that they are gone. Uh, but really like, <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe, maybe you can use items in a lot of different genres. <laughs> There's a lot, there's a lot you can do with it. It just, it kind of depends. It, like you said, yeah, it is dependent upon whether or not the game has that sort of thing, like magic gear, special gear, psionic gear, super powered, you know, alien tech or whatever. Um, and you can find ways to just not have it be like this exchange system where it's like, okay, well now I, I'm, I'm at 15th level. So I'm going to have my plus three or plus four weapon, but I've got this like, you know, stack of lower pluses that I keep on my mantle in my keep. <laughs> and, it, and that, don't get me wrong. That's there, there's fine flavor to have that sort of thing, or you have your character give those items away to squires and assistants and, um, or gift them to people in the town or, you know, whatever, but it also, it, it, it's, yeah, I, I love the idea of just like letting a few of those things really grow and build. And it's not hard to do. You just like, you don't even have to develop a system for it in, in most game systems. You just say like, well, rather than gaining a new thing and throwing the old one away or setting it aside, you just slap the bonus onto the thing. Well, and, and here's the thing too, like 
we as humans, we become attached to and we assign meaning to to our possessions, you know, our most prized possessions. They are important to us. Mm -hmm. So you can always tell, like, say very early on, for example, you have this party and you you even, you know, with the with the random loot tables, you you roll some random loot and you know, like some like the wizard gives like this wondrous item or whatever that does something, and then you see what these characters are start to lean into. And that's a great basis for for start a, sort of starting to to evolve these items is you know this this wizard has this like doohickey that they always try and use some this kind of magic item that they're always trying to solve everything with. Just let that get stronger. Let that continue to work because the the wizard has very clearly invested some some meaning beyond beyond you know this is just a. This is just something that I possess, you know, it's, I've always found it kind of weird. Um, apologies, I'm going to get a bit critical here. Um, but that, that D&D kind of has this, what's, what's like the magic item version of fast fashion? Like this idea of, <laughs> of like you, you, you buy a sword and then you use it for a bit and then you just throw it away and then you get something new. Um, that's not how people tend to be like. I have my sword and it's my sword. I don't want to just throw it away. Like I don't want to do that. So tying tying the 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 expected power of the system and just letting you get that naturally and being able to to, to invest in your possessions as well as you know in the story around. I think I think is is really the way to go. That's what I like to do. Oh yeah, I, I love the image of like fast fashion, but for your magic items. There, there was that game that I played. It's a game that loops every sixty seconds because you your character picks up a cursed sword, and the oh I, okay, I guess spoiler alert if this sounds, it's called minute or something. Yeah, minute. Um, at the end of the game, you go to the cursed sword factory, and there are <laughs> so many swords <laughs> everywhere. I I. <laughs> maybe if you do have players who like to do that because there are players who like yeah, the absolutely who like the item collection they like the disposable stuff uh, maybe you could include that into your campaign like okay now you get to see the consequences of your of your um factory manufactured swords <laughs> and you can still introduce those you know kind of unique items that aren't going to have that long history going along with you as like other magic items you might even even powerful ones like you could conceivably have um just using swords as an example right you like the all the characters in the group have swords that do all these cool things but none of them is a demon slayer let's say that's mm. like re required in order to to kill this big baddie that you're throwing at him well you introduce like this demon slayer weapon that the characters have to go get and they have to use this thing and uh you know getting it is important becomes motivation to be able to deal with the threat of the demon or whatever and then going and dealing with it and and then using it to defeat the demon is um important and then like you don't want to own it real long because it's like sucked the demon's soul into it and it's going to start doing things to you so now you have to find a way to get rid of it and you can you can have uh you know like you can build that that's that a, that a sword like that could you know do a lot to motivate the characters in a lot of different ways and then and not be something you know it, it has a life it, it hangs around because you had to find it use it and then find a way to get rid of it such that it's not going to get abused by somebody else or picked up by the big bad evil or whatever um but it's it's not like your long-term cool magic sword 
and while you're playing you're still able to use that because that your cool ass you know your cool ass magic sword still has like spells it can cast out of it or like it grants you bonuses to your defense or whatever it is that you know other things that make it cool but you need this thing for a little while or someone else wants the sword another yeah. enemy faction wants the sword or maybe you bar- you can't see this at home dear podcast listeners i am giving the air quotes they borrowed <laughs> the sword off the wrong person and that person <laughs> wants it back or they need to get it back before it's they notice it's gone um there there are all sorts of fun things like i mcguffins again like mcguffins are great um they i know that they're a cliche but they when when used correctly and you know you're not trying to write the next great american novel it's fine people like like Liana maybe said. you are but you shouldn't be doing it in the, in the tabletop rpg games yeah but player players will not will not uh respect your rails <laughs> and you you shouldn't expect them to uh if you do come up with a great american novel while you're role-playing um awesome but <laughs> uh i yeah i i love i love using items as like you it's such a, a clear mission for the characters like we are after this thing and you can throw in all sorts of twists with that at the end or we're going on a mission to destroy this thing lord of the Rings style whatever you're doing with it and it kind of gets away from the I mean, it, it has like this outside, it's not like super big, high stakes. So you you can avoid um, maybe topics that you agreed on with your players um, in session zero. So it's not somebody's child that you're going after. So you can avoid any issues with that. It's an item. If it gets destroyed, yeah, sure, that sucks. But it's it's an item at, at the end of the day. Um, it is worth remembering though, uh, <laughs> I think about Craig Craig's, you know, that cursed sword that you trap the demon in. You will have some players who will be just who will just say, I'm gonna keep it. Okay. And and depending <laughs> on depending on how how you want to run the game, you can actually turn that into a plot point in and of itself. Um, something I try and do, um, I try, I try not to be too punishing when I play, like. If a, if a player makes a decision that something that they want to do, I want to, I want to find ways to let them figure out how to make it work for them. Um, I'm, I may not make it easy, of course, you know, um, but, you know, say, say a player says, you know, I want to keep the sword with the demon trapped in it because this could go multiple ways it's like so do you do you want to just be corrupted by it do you want your character to eventually become a demon and become evil and the party has to put you down and they're like yeah that's what i want to do is i want to i want to i want to be corrupted by the sword all right let's rock and roll yeah let's rock and roll let's set this up but say they're like i want to purify this sword well there are some quest hooks um where you can start having the sword whisper at them, trying to corrupt them, and they have to, you know, resist it, and they need to find ways to do that. Um, and, and in certain systems, you know, they can start to spec around bearing this possessed, cur- accursed item, where they can start taking abilities that help them resist it. And in, in that case, you want to really reward them for engaging, because it's like, I am choosing to do this thing that will ultimately serve, you know, the greater good or whatever, but it's hard and, and, you know, there's a lot of possibility to fail. Um, so, so in that, in that concept, you know, 
make them fail, but not in ways that are the end, you know, like maybe the sword can take possession, but they can rest control back and, you know, just make that get more worrisome after all. So they, they, you know, there's that urgency there, but give them, give them every avenue to ultimately succeed, even if they're going to stumble along the way. Sure. Mm -hmm. You can put, you know, you can put the timer on there. If this is like, this thing's going to curse you and eventually, you know, cause all sorts of bad things for your character. Well, you know, the player says, well, I want to hang on to it for a while because it's really cool and useful. And then you say, okay, well, you're going to, you know, and then you, 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 as a GM, you can introduce problems that they have to deal with as they go. And it gets, you know, and, and you tell the player, well, you like, if you get rid of it now, you can just get rid of it now. But if you want to get rid of it, you know, three quests from now where it's, you know, drain the soul of three more evil things, it's going to be difficult, more difficult to get rid of. Like, it's not going to want to go away. Um, and you can, you know, lay out, lay out what the, what the, the risks and the rewards are. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then play that out and let, you know, if the, if the, if the player is, if that's like, they're willing to take that risk with their character, um, then, then go ahead and play it out. Like, let it, like the longer you have this sword, the harder it is going to be to get rid of. It's, it's helping you a lot right now. It's doing all sorts of cool things, but the longer you hang on to it, the, the tougher it is going to be to get rid of. And being up front with like, that's a those... that, be that becomes a yeah, challenge absolutely. into itself. Sorry. That becomes a challenge yeah. into itself, unto itself, like outside of just the actual, you know, yeah enemy enemies that you're defeating with it and being up front with the consequences of like okay you do keep it this is what will happen and like liana said like having that conversation with your player and all of that again communication 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 it's yep, yep. it's you know the the that twitter the the tweet that went around um about the the guy whose character was killed because he spat in the face <laughs> of the bad guy that whole thing like you gotta you gotta let your characters know what the stakes are. You have to communicate these things with them, so then you don't, you know, become Twitter's main character for the day. Um, uh, <laughs> I never want to be Twitter's main character no. for the day. Uh, I do want to give a shout out though to the random silly items. Uh, I <laughs> I love getting random silly one-time use items, um, and I love giving those to my players too. Um, I, I I love. Like, okay, here's a mysterious potion. You don't know what it does. Uh, and then, <laughs> and maybe you as the DM or the GM doesn't, don't even know what it does. And you can roll to see what it does when they finally do use it. Or maybe they're saving it for like the, the ultimate time. Like they think they've assigned some, some terrific meaning to it. And you could assign that meaning to it in the moment. Um, but most of the time, like with my players, they're like, oh, we have this song of bird calls or this whatever staff of bird calls, whatever the thing is. Um, and they will find all sorts of fun ways to use that. Uh, it, it's it's fun sometimes to just award them with like, just sprinkle in a little, oh, here's something silly. Here's here's something fun. Uh, it, it's like getting a new power that you didn't have to use your experience on in these cases. Um, I think the the only problem I've ever had with that is when my my players have been super super clever about the uses of some of these items, and I have um, had to talk with them like, okay, well this is a little bit strong. It's you're making it stronger than I wanted it to be. What can we do? Or <laughs> do you are you happy with this? Um, oh, what was the item that? Uh, Oh, I gave I gave somebody a, a cape that could shoot spider webs out of it. And it was used way too many times in in all the wrong circumstances. <laughs> but it was fun. It, it like became part of this character's whole outfit. And like, and yeah. that and that's see, that's a wonderful 
avenue to make that that cape of spider webs become their artifact or their mm-hmm. their their personal item just like you can tell that they love this thing and they want to use it so so just let them do that and occasionally yeah. throw them at an encounter where it absolutely does not work or backfires <laughs> yeah just to keep them on their toes like, it's not this like don't punish them but just remind them that you know a hammer <laughs> yeah. is not always the right tool for the job <laughs> this town square is filled with spider webs and it looks like jess was here again <laughs> <laughs> like oh yep uh well here comes the queen of spiders and she really wants that back uh like yeah because, all she, sorts of because she hasn't been able to spin a web oh. since you started peppering the the, the town square <laughs> with spider webs for the festival the, the cape is a dimensional door that goes directly oh my gosh the, the, like the, the spider, spider webs come like the spider webs come from the, the, the spider queen <laughs> good lord <laughs> <laughs> uh that's fun uh <laughs> I, I i alex is the is the character is the player in question for this uh and we're still kind of playing this campaign so hope don't listen to this alex rewind <laughs> forget forget that you're this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love loot tables i love reading like books with a bunch of um items that you can use um and like different genres of items cursed items occult items that's it's super fun to just you know throw a bunch of things at them. I, I think I think you should just always be prepared for that to happen, mm-hmm. and be willing willing to to be like okay if if they're gonna if they really love this random item that they picked up then we'll make this a storied part of the of their character. Yeah, and I'll find interesting I'll find interesting things to put in there where in my mind they could solve this problem using that item. I figured out a way for them. Let's see if they figure out the way to use that item to solve this problem. And they they will, necessarily... but they'll do something you didn't expect with the item that will still solve it. Right. They they they, they may not find the way. They may do what what Liana said and, and be able to you know do it in a completely different way, or they may not find it at all, and then they find another workaround on something you didn't expect them to be able to use that item to solve. Um, because as, as much as we GMs like to think, oh, we're in charge, we know we're doing all this, we're doing all that, we're, we're spending all this time preparing it beforehand, it's all going to be a surprise for them. <laughs> like, there's four or five or three or six or whatever other brains at the table when you're playing, you're outnumbered, <laughs> players are going to come up with uh, things that you didn't think of. You're outnumbered. That's, that's a fun way to describe the GM player relationship. Yeah, it, I, I, it happens all the time. Like your, your, your best uh, intentions as a GM is you come up with like you think is this really cool thing, and then you put it out there, and they either find a way to circumna- uh, you know, uh, circumnavigate it immediately, or they find a way to turn it into some benefit that you didn't expect them to, do. or they make a joke about it that you didn't see coming, and then suddenly it becomes a joke that you know that hangs over the campaign for the rest of the time. Yeah. They, nobody can take the thing seriously because everybody cracks the joke every time it comes up. I, I've had a few of those in my time. Um, you know, I, one LARP session I went to, I won a magic item and it was really, really cool. But the item in question was the most garishly colored cloak <laughs> and it did not match. It did not match my character's fashion. It did not match. I, I personally thought it was very ugly. It was a good item and I refused to use it because it, my my character would have never would have never been caught dead wearing the thing um <laughs> so 
I don't uh, do with that information as you will, GMs. Uh, the, the Order of the Stick comic, uh, which is excellent, um, actually had a great joke on this where like the, the rogue Haley is talking about how these boots of speed were super powerful, but they were lime green. And then yeah. like <laughs> 400 pages later, this random merchant offers to, uh, as part of their haggling, to also dye her boots. And she's like, dye these ones instead. And this, these powerful boots of speed that were referenced in like the first chapter suddenly become a useful plot point later on. I like that. <laughs> yeah, the cloaking question was lime green and orange. Um, it, it was not, yeah. I kept it like I didn't want anyone else to have it, obviously, but <laughs> well, what you do is you just you just, you you um, sew a more aesthetic cloak on top of it. So it just becomes kind of your cloak lining or you, you uh, <laughs> sew another cloak on the inside so that the lining is also not not a bad color. And you just, you know, you surround it with two normal cloaks. <laughs> Um, so it's heavy duty and, and super then, powerful. And then it's and a aesthetic. winter cloak. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> multi layer insulated winter cloak. <laughs> that it just that that memory just like unlocked <laughs> in my brain. I forgot about that uh that cloak. Um okay, what about as a game designer? Because we've been talking about providing these items as motivations for um for your players as a GM. Our next topic is about using like how do you in your system as a game designer provide motivation for your the players who are picking up your game and and playing it um i i feel like it's much yeah incentivizing action in your game design i had to open up my other tab to read the better worded version of that how do we incentivize action when you're like writing a system itself or writing a, a game itself oh boy that's a big, I know it's a big, big ass there. Well, this, this, the standard go-to is D&D. You can't defeat the big, bag, big, bad thing unless you've got like the, the, the right weapons and tools to defeat it. And so you now are, you are now incentivized to go get those things mm -hmm. um, and uh, to have, you know, to build the right skills into your character so that you can go get those things and defeat the bad guy. And, well, yeah, I mean, in, in D&D originally, like gold was like your, like, go collect gold go get treasure go do this part but that was, was like the point of the game yeah gold was, well, yeah, gold was experience points too on, yeah. and then you you hear about gygax giving his kids a <laughs> chest full of copper coins that don't give any experience and you're like wow that's <laughs> twisted man <laughs> um incentivizing action is 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 geez, it, this is like like this is one of the toughest things about being a game designer mm -hmm. is like finding ways to, you know, other than just saying, well, this is what the game is about. Please do this. Um, finding ways to incentivize uh, the, the players into doing certain things um, as part of the game design and, and having that be an important part of the game design. I think one of the, the one of the, the, the best incentivizing factors of uh, most game design or some game designs anyway is like the penalty buildups and ways to get rid of them like having things happen where the characters fail saving throws and they suffer penalties and now you don't the, the the penalty doesn't just go away after a certain amount of time or it doesn't just you know dispel magic or remove curse and the penalty goes away it's like you have to undertake a quest or you have to go do a thing you have to gain an item that's going to allow you to get rid of that penalty um, and so for a while the character has to actually 
deal with that problem. The player has to deal with their character having that limitation. Um, and it, I think uh, it, it, it sends the player, it sends all the players, it sends the, the character, it sends the entire group on a quest to deal with something um, that, you know, they're going to have to deal with the problem in order to find the solution to the problem. Um, and I, you know, as a game designer, it's one of those things that it makes, it makes me really happy to see people play the game and have to deal with all of that. And when they do then get rid of the thing or, you know, deal with the, the penalty and get rid of it, they're like, oh, thank God. It's so finally, um, like there's, 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 there's a catharsis and there's a moment of like, this is like my character achieved something that not only like was like its own little story and did all these little story beats and things, but then it also, um, you know, freed my character from this penalty or problem that they had. Um, and I think, you know, building that into the game in some way, shape or form um, can be very, very useful because it keeps the characters, it keeps the players motivated to get their characters to go do certain things. Um, and then um, allows them, you know, to, to, to not suffer for that thing forever, but then to get finally get rid of it and, and have that moment of catharsis. I, I think what Eliana, what you mentioned with like the items in um, the Valor system, I, that's a really good way to kind of put that in the kinds of stories that you wanted to tell with, um, with your game. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit too? Because that's another way that you encoded something in the game to motivate that role play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that, and that's really been, um, been one of our driving factors is, is Valor just because again, we, we have optional rules for gear, but we don't, it's not a core part of the game. Um, Instead, you can just build your character however you want, and you can do basically anything. Um, so what we what we focus on is getting them to invest in the world, getting them to invest in the story. And this actually is a good segue into what I've been working on, because I've been developing settings that are intended for use with Valor. And the first thing I do when I am building a setting is I will sit down and I will come up with a list of core engagements. So this world, this setting that people are going to be playing in, what are some of the things that I am developing that players could base their adventure around? So for example, I'm working on this kind of magical academy, magical girl, um, sync pop idol mix of a setting right now. And uh, my core engagements, I just pulled, it, pulled up my list here so I can read them off. Um, so like the core engagements are things like you know, school days, you know, having this, this magical academy setting. Um, archaeology, which is one of the, ma the majors that you can take on in the school where you're going into ancient ruins and exploring them and, you know, finding magic items and things like that. Um, you can do natural, natural sciences, which is kind of based around the idea of finding these magical ley lines around the world and having these big kind of monster hunter style fights with these elementally aspected beasts who are guarding them. Um, you can, you know, hunt these evil shade beings that are sucking people's emotions out. Um, you can just be a pop idol unit and you can go around and sing and dance and, and make magic from that. You can uh, become teachers at this academy. And what does that look like? You can engage in diplomacy and espionage within the political situation of this, of this kingdom and, you know, all the people around them. You can have them, you know, also go into court if you want to ignore the academy entirely and have them do that. So like these engagements are, I can then take this list to my player and say, all right, so we're running a game in this setting. What, which one of these sounds good? Which 
two potentially of these sound good because we can kind of mix and match a bit. Um, what do you as players, like what kind of adventure do you want to have? And then from there, once they tell me, I can tell it, I can tailor that adventure around the core engagements that they picked. Um, natural sciences uh, in, in the setting, uh, the ley lines and the big monster hunter co uh, conflicts I'm finding is turning out to be very popular. It's not something I necessarily expected, but uh, I know I know what that looks like. I know what it's supposed to look like. And, you know, I, which is very interesting encounter design and, you know, a lot of exploration in the natural world. Um, so I can build an adventure very easily out of that. It's, uh, for me, just because I have that luxury, it's designing my setting with the ideas in mind so that when, when the players tell me what they want to do, I can very easily provide that experience for them. Yeah, I think that's that's like a really good tool to have in, in your toolbox as a game designer is having the genre and setting touch tones. So when someone picks up your game and reads it, they are already fully loaded with like, oh, I... I know this kind of story and my players will know this kind of story. We'll, we'll all be able to engage with that in a way that makes sense for, you know, the type of game you as a game designer wanted, wanted your players, wanted these people to play. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that's yeah. honestly one of D&D's major strengths is the fact that if you're playing D&D, people kind of know what to expect. There's this giant cultural understanding around D&D as a system and D&D as an experience. And there are a lot of permutations within that, but it has such a strong identity as kind of, kind of its own thing. Like D&D doesn't really reflect, for example, a lot of fantasy novels, right? It's, right. it works different. Like there's, there are things about D&D that really just make it D&D and people are coming to the experience of Dungeons and Dragons with this very tailored expectation. And that's, a, that's a very strong thing to be able to do for your system or setting. Mm-hmm. And another way, like, I have come up with, um, I've designed a couple of uh, um, anti-capitalist games. It is very easy in, like, when you're coming from a role-play game, like, Dungeons & Dragons is is a very, like, let's gather a bunch of money and power, which is, um, that that's capitalism. Um, and then you go to a game where the object is is not about making yourself the hero, but more, like, uniting for the common good how like how do you it was a challenge to figure out like how do you incentivize a different track how do you incentivize them to be working together to be to to not be trying to take control and grab more power but to be to dispersing this power you know among the entire populace uh what we ended up doing with moonpunk was incorporating that into um not just like the move sets themselves because it's powered by the apocalypse. So the, the move sets themselves are a lot of like cooperation and, and these punk kind of archetypes. Um, but also within the, the experience system, you have to, we, we modeled it off of a, um, a direct action guide, like an actual direct action guide that we picked up from a punk show once. And so you have to do these things and actually work for everybody's good and destroy systems of oppression in order to become better at the end of a session. Um, and that was, you know, it's kind of a, that extrinsic motivation to do things like from the meta player side, but it also like having those guidelines up front, tell the players and, and tell the, the game master in that situation, like you have to do this, otherwise you're not progressing in the game. 
so yeah uh so not only was was like the setting touchstone there but we tried to like hammer it home like don't just go get money don't just don't become a corporate goon you got to do this well and it's interesting too because you, you mentioned the idea of you know you're not here to be the hero but all of our cultural mythology like there's a reason robin hood is seen as one of mm-hmm. the most enduring heroes in in kind of western literature robin hood is very much that he is he is taking the ill-gotten wealth from the rich and giving it to the poor and those who need it and he is a folk hero that is that is something we we as humans see in as inherently heroic and just mm-hmm. um and and you really can't you can lean into that even um uh, the idea that, and you see it in, in, you know, our own, our own mythology and our own, you know, civil rights movements and things like that. You, you see the individual heroes who are lionized for their actions and, and are in many cases, somewhat figureheads of a broader movement. So you can really kind of incorporate that mm-hmm. into your design and the idea that, you know, yes, your characters may, may become, become heroes in the movement but they may be they may be long gone by the time that happens um but but the the actions they are taking are just and heroic and they are actions that are worth taking and you could also like i worked on a a robin hood game once um and that game isn't about necessarily robbing the rich and giving to the poor you know like that that whole saying it's more about that errol flynn swashbuckly like like wild um acrobatics kind of moves and then the move set within that game uh the 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 designer made it so like you are rewarded for doing these fun things in combat it's very like like all the scenes all the important scenes are like in this combat and you're rewarded for doing fun cool weird things with your player with your character and you can level up those fun weird cool things that you come up with on the fly um and then it minimized some of the other elements there of of Robin Hood that some uh, that if you were to make one that was about the corruption within Sherwood you might not have you might have emphasized more and downplayed the combat more Uh, I think we've mentioned before like several times on this podcast like the more weight you give something in terms of the text on your game the more important it is for the people who read your book the the more who read your game um and that will be what they will latch onto and think is important so thinking about what you're emphasizing um, within the actual text i've designed a, a couple of games now that use kind of similar um mechanics um which i refer to as the roll track system where you've got you're, you're rolling dice to accomplish things it's the, the the games tend to be a little bit on the light on rolls you're not making a lot a lot a lot of rolls <clears throat> but you want the character you want the players to be making a, a number of rolls during the course of the game because um whether you fail at the check whether you barely succeed or whether you succeed um very well um does different things and so and they're and they're all interesting things um and and you know, the two of them are straight up beneficial and one of them is often kind of beneficial but also with like you know like there's a side effect and it's a flavor kind of thing so um i mean having having things that change on the character sheet things that change for the character 
on a minor things, not like huge sweeping, like you're not changing their stat numbers and not, you know, suddenly giving them all these new abilities and then taking them away or anything, but just like little bonuses that can go up and down things that you can gain um, points that you can spend um, tying that all into um, making, you know, taking actions that require an actual dice roll that I require, you know, like, because we, we all have dealt with games where you've got to, you know, a lot of games is like, well, my, I say my, my character does this and you say, okay, fine. They do that. You don't have to make a check for that. That's just the thing your character does, but there comes a point where you have to decide, okay, success versus failure is kind of important here. Um, are you, you the character is risking something. So there's, it's, it's important. Now there's a roll or flipping cards or whatever it is. Um, and having something come out of that, um, you know, that isn't, just succeed and fail but is like has other permutations of other things that happen in the game i think helps to incentivize action to do stuff because it's not just like success failure usually is like okay am i gonna am i gonna solve the problem or not i've got it's combat i'm gonna fight am i gonna solve am i gonna defeat the baddie or not but if you've got like uh, different things in there where like well if i fail it also it means the combat's not over yet but it also means that like in in my game in with these the roll track system it's you know if you fail you're you're marking a point in your skill track which is eventually going to allow you to in, uh, improve your character so you're gaining something out of that so you're incentivized to to attempt things even if you are going to fail mm -hmm. because it's going to ultimately benefit you and you know to give you something interesting to play with whether it be improving your character or having a funky ability or having a good ability turn bad or like if, if something gets pushed too far down a track sometimes something goes like very very bad and it becomes a great flavor bit that helps to kind of color how the character is played, and it's a it makes it you know a, a more interesting experience. Um, and like in good strong hands, when you when you um, if you succeed too well, you tempt the void into giving you these really horrible powerful abilities that are like oh I got this really cool ability, but every time I use it, like it's gonna it becomes a spi <laughs> it, there's a spiral. It becomes a spiral toward your character being taken over by the void. Um, so it it you know there's a flavor and fun to that, and it, it incentivizes you to like find ways as a, get for, for the players to find ways to make roles that matter because it's going to allow them to do these things. I'm going to get some skill and it's going to make my character better, or I'm going to gain some spirit. And those are points that I can spend to gain bonuses on dice, or I'm going to have this other thing. Um, and in each of the games that I'm designing, that, that third thing is always a little different because it's themed, but you're always getting something. So you're encouraged to, to take action that matters, that actually has a chance of failure. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, that's one of the things that uh, is a sign of like, when, when, when somebody's put a really a, a lot of thought into a game design, it's like, there's, it's more than just like pass fail. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of games that are pass fail that are plenty of fun. Um, but a lot of them are legacy games, or they're very light games. Um, or sometimes they're games by kind of new aspiring designers. And they're like, okay, well, I'm just going to kind of do this thing. I'm not going to overburden myself just yet. I'm going to learn more, and, you know, and, and eventually they, th th that game might ex be expanded or the designer comes up with like some, another game that's more complex. There's a lot of different ways to go to it. Or maybe that's, you know, that's all the experience that you, you know, that, that game works best as like, you know, pass fail. Um, but, uh, you know, having different things kind of built into the rules that like are always kind of challenging you to, you, you want to find ways, find reason, get, give your players reason to do things that's going to require the check because there's always going to be something interesting that happens because of the check. Yeah. Like figuring out, you want to, you want to make sure that you're, you're, you have that reason to 
face up to potential failure and also giving like the tools to your like whoever's running the game whether that's every player or that there's like a a dedicated game master like how can they push back when the players might bump against the the guardrails and the boundaries of what might be like a quote-unquote acceptable within that genre that you're going for like what you said with good strong hands there's not necessarily a punishment but there's a there's a negative consequence if they're using these really cool powers that might get them absorbed like taken over by the void what can you do to in your game what can you do to make sure that not again not a punishment but like making sure that they're not abusing a power creep for example or um, if you're playing a game where everybody um, has has powers but you have to protect the idea of this the mystery and the occult of the veil um, what are you going to do within your game to push back if they are revealing their power yeah it's that whole idea of making making the choices mean something making your your abilities and and the way that you use them meaningful and 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 also just making it that failure doesn't mean the end um that that's a big thing is in the success failure binary you don't want necessarily like especially like a single failure to just completely end the adventure because then it's like okay well I guess everyone packs up their books and goes home and that's not why we're here we're here to play a game we're here to have fun yeah it's it's kind of like the the challenge of making a game is like okay how do I get these people to I'm not there I'm not sitting at their game table I am I'm producing this thing and I'm going to step away and here it is how am I going to make sure that once I've stepped away, they have the tools that they need to play the story that I I imagine them to play, like the kinds of stories I imagine them to play. I think what Craig, you said at the very beginning, there is a way to do that very explicitly by saying, hey, here's my game. Here are the kinds of stories I think that you should be telling within this game. Here's what I imagine. You can write that down um, within your game book. Uh, but then if you give them a bunch of tools, like if it's a game about saving communities and the environment and and whatever but then you put within your game a bunch of tools that you know are all about combat and (laughs) slicing people up like what else are they gonna use this is the toolbox you've given them it's a bunch of uh chainsaws oh no anything else on 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 these thoughts open it to the floor uh i have one one last thought on that and um that would be choosing the art pieces that you use in your game if you're adding art to your game um, that kind of illustrate the fun kinds of things you imagine for your players uh, can go a long way a picture really is worth a thousand words Uh, having having that um having the visual aids for your book um can can really help if it's a game about saving little baby creatures, you want images of people saving little baby creatures. <laughs> and that will tell them, oh, I'm going to save little baby creatures. Cool. I, I know for me, um, and this kind of goes back, which we've kind of danced around, but I want to say it very explicitly. Um, communicate with your players, find out what they want, and then give them what they want. That's the best way to get them engaged is to, is to make an adventure that they're already prime to engage with and and to extend that into the game design realm as designing like when you're playtesting you know find out what the playtesters are seeing as 
the core elements of the game? Are you, you know, are you incentivizing those things properly? Like you, you imagine the game to incentivize doing these things. Well, you've designed it, you put it in their hands. You didn't teach the game to them. You gave them words to read. Like, is that what they found? Is that what they did? You know, did they come into that game to, to play test and, and do the things that you kind of made primary as part of yeah, the game? And, and, important and, to the game? and if you see them really leaning into certain ideas or mechanics, uh, especially if that's consistent over a lot of your playtesting, that that tells you that the mechanics you've built in this area are very engaging. So you should be marketing them. You should be dressing them up. You should be polishing them to make sure that they're the best they can be because people really like that part of your game. So you want to give them the best possible experience of that aspect that you can. And ask the question if they if they aren't talk if they aren't talking too much about some other subset of rules or something like why not did they feel that that was extraneous and tacked on or did they just did they well we used it but we didn't you know use it a lot and you're like okay well that's fine because that's what I you know kind of the game design to I expect the, the game design to be like that you'll you'll utilize this this stuff over here occasionally um, and they just got more talkative about uh, these other core elements but or or you know did they say well I didn't even like that never came up in my game. Like, we'll find out, well, like, you know, what, what, if you presented them with an adventure to run, um, why didn't you include some of those aspects? If you gave them, you know, the gave the GM carte blanche to kind of run their own game. What about how you've written the game up caused the, the, the GM to not realize this is also kind of an important part of the game or why did they, why did they, you know, cling to one thing as being really cool and not so much the other one. Maybe there's something you need to do to beef that other thing up if you want it to be a more important element of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or maybe you need to dump it. <laughs> <laughs> if you want biceps, you got to do bicep curls. You, you got to punch up the stuff you want to punch up. <laughs> um, I don't know anything about biceps. Uh <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Liana, oh. thank you for uh, <laughs> coming on to our podcast. Absolutely. Uh, is, always happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. This has been a lot of fun. Um, and uh, thanks for coming back. And uh, where can we find you and what do you want to promote? Uh, so you can find me um, on, on Twitter. I am at uh, Valor Liana, uh, L-I-A-N-A. I should probably spell out since... Uh, listeners at home probably don't actually know how that, that, that name is spelled it's a bit of an unusual one um so i am on valorousgames.com uh which is kind of our primary site i actually we just introduced our first uh we we are we are releasing our very first adventure path uh best in class which is finally finally in my hands after Yay. many many years printing and shipping issues mm. um so best in class is a level one through five Valor adventure where you get to play students uh, who are learning to become professional monster hunters, basically. Uh, and you get to uh, run afoul with the local town mafia and decide whether you're going to beat them or take your finals. Um, <laughs> Love it. Which I, I designed the splitting path, but I'm like, realistically, most people aren't going to take this, this stay into your finals thing because... The way we set the game up is everyone wants to be heroes. So you're, of course, you're going to take the heroic path, but it's in there anyway. You know, if, 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 <laughs> if you want to be a coward, then, then you can, uh, then you can, you can stay in school and, and take your finals. But um, so yeah, best in class is out. It's level one through five. The book you can just get 
you are able to purchase just the adventure and it will have all of the play rules and 10 pre-made characters. So you do not need to purchase the Core Valor book in order to play it. And it's a good uh, kind of early learning experience for checking out our system, seeing what it's about. All right, you heard it here first, everyone. Liana McKenzie says school is for losers. All right. <laughs> I may have some personal biases. I was not a good student at all. And I'm, you're a much, I'm not, you're I'm a much better monster school. hunter. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm so bad at school. It's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you don't, you don't want me as a student. I don't want you. I don't want to be in your class. I respect you. No. Uh, <laughs> you can find me at, at Joska on Twitter. You can also find my games at wannabegames.com. And I have a Kickstarter that is in its final little hurrah right now. It's the Means of Magic. You can find that if you go to bit.ly forward slash Means of Magic with a K at the end. It is a game about fighting megacorps as they destroy the earth in the post magic industrial revolution. And that's megacorps as in megacorporations, not like giant dead people, right? Not a right. megacorps. Megacorp, not megacorps, yeah. Well, now I have the idea for my next game. Yeah! Um, it's just a really giant Jeff Bezos zombie. Uh, okay. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> You're welcome. Craig, what about you? Um, I'm... Uh, oh, who am I? I'm Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. Um, the... the Com the, the game company is Nerdburger Games, uh, nerdburgergames.com. You can also find it at drivethroughrpg.com. You can buy all the games there. Um, uh, da -da -da. If you want the fancy version of Capers, the, the nice hardcover with all the cool spangles, um, that's at the website, nerdburgergames.com. Um, but everything else is at drive-thru. And I'm almost out of Good Strong Hands books, everybody. Ooh. Like the oh, nice, the nice ones that I, that I got printed. Um, pretty soon it's going to be print on demand only. So if you want Good Strong Hands, um, the fancy version, um, there's a few left <laughs> at uh, nerdburgergames.com. And thank you, Steph Sachs, uh, for your opening and closing music. Avil, which you licensed under Creative Commons. You have no idea who I am, but I thank you. <laughs> and thank you all for listening and we'll see you back here next time bye bye bye, bye.